and let's read it. I'll read it to you. Romans 1, 3. Twelve three, Romans twelve three. See how those things change when you put on your glasses. Beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Boy, there's a message there, and people park there, and I have too. And Romans chapter twelve, verses one two, and that's all the farther we go a lot of times, but. It's all about maturing as a Christian. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you prove that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. For I say unto you, through the grace given unto you to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, to think, but to think Soberly according to as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Now that measure of faith is where a lot of theologians get all carried away and try to anticipate that. But faith is a brother to grace. The only thing that uh, interferes with your faith, the basic thing, ignorance doesn't affect your faith. You were ignorant to God and all the gifts he had for you, most of you when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. No, we're still ignorant of everything God has for us and in store for us yet as we accepted him as our personal Savior. We spend our time here on earth trying to overcome that ignorance and realize how much God has for us because God said by faith you can move mountains. Anybody moved a mountain yet besides Brother Dill? I heard you dug three feet down. That's a start, right? <laughs> uh, faith. The biggest hindrance to faith is the cousin, pride. Pride will interfere with your faith. And that's what it says right there in simple measure. You are, uh, your faith is only limited by your pride. So, faith leads to grace and faith lead to justification before God. Just as if I never sinned is the simple definition of it. We want a complicated definition. You can go and come to church on Friday night or Wednesday night, and I'll give you a complicated definition. But it's just as if you never sinned. You're not going to get there in God's eyes unless you exercise faith. Then he'll bestow grace upon you. In fact, he's already given you that grace before you even exercise faith. We are adopted. The second thing that happens is we are adopted into the family of God as sons. Sons. And that's a generic term, not a gender term. In this place, it's mankind. As we are adopted into into the family of God as God's sons. Ephesians 1.5, having presented us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to God, to the good pleasure of his will. That's Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. That word adoption, well, first we'll look at predestined. A lot of people get hung up on predestined. 
My Bible says before the world was formed, this Bible was written. The plan, some, a little child come to me on Friday night, and we have a good Friday night uh, youth program. Uh, we had a little child come to me, and he says, how come, how come God made angels that were bad, meaning the devil? And I says, God made angels that were bad so we could have a choice. It was predestined for us to have a choice in the matter. Before the world was made, it was predestined that he would want us to make the choice to love him. Now, I'm not going to argue whether he draws you or you get drawn by his word, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, he had to have a plan so that he didn't have a bunch of robots or ignorant, dumb sheep loving him. He gave us enough cognitive skills to make that choice. Now, if you can't make that choice because of cognitive dissidence, it's because you don't have a, but a small measure of faith. The only thing that inhibits your faith is pride and your ability to understand what God's presented to you. That's heavy stuff, but if you think about it, that's why we have the age of accountability. Poor little crumb snatchers, little monkeys. One guy, it's so cute that one little guy's got a monkey in his hands. I said, he's a little bitty monkey. Reminds me of the joke where the guy looks at the guy who uh, he doesn't like a certain denomination or a certain group of people. So uh, sure enough, here comes this guy, and he's an organ grinder with a monkey. And the little monkey comes out with a tin cup, and his buddies are all watching him, and he puts money in the little monkey's tin cup. And the guy says, I thought you didn't like those kind of people. You're very prejudiced against them. You know that's wrong. He says, oh, but their kids are so cute. <laughs> so God has a way of dealing with us in our prejudice. We're all the same when we're little monkeys. And we're all, some of us are very limited in our abilities to understand and comprehend God's word. I myself have relatives, and we've fostered children that will never have the cognitive skill to accept Christ as their personal Savior. How much faith are they measured? They don't need faith. They're a gift from God, and they're going right back. I can, I can attest to that. Well, every one of us experienced that when we were born, the age of accountability and the limit of faith that was measured to us, and it wasn't exercised until we received uh, enough ability to understand where we were. I am so faithful for, I am so thankful for godly, God-fearing parents that made sure when I was young I got to church, made sure when I asked them questions like, and you've heard it before, where do trees come from? Reese was uh, uh, I was acquiring the cognitive skills, the understanding to realize there was more to life than my immediate stimulants. And I asked my mom, where do trees come from? First I asked my grandma, and she says, go ask your mama. Mama said, God made them. It was settled right there. It was settled right there. Faith was being born. Faith was being cultivated. Understanding was being developed. Choices were being made. You have the same a privilege to do that when I, and that's where I get into animals, I flunked. Well, I didn't flunk. I had to withdraw after two years of veterinary in college. 
I love sheep, and there's a lot to understand about sheep, and they're really not as stupid as we like to think they are. They have a different level of understanding. One of the things I found with sheep that I'm exercising even as we, I'm standing before you today is you can't let them know what you're up to all the time. They don't interpret it the right way. Had a whole pen full of sheep, and I was going to worm them that day, and they heard the bottles clinging in the barn. And they knew those bottles clinging together weren't going to bring them a good appetite. <laughs> they were going to get wormed, and it was very distasteful, the medication. So we had to pretend that day was just like any other day, put the, put the medication in the buckets of grain, and then went out and fed them, and then jumped on them and wormed them. <laughs> now, I jumped on you people a little bit this morning and worming you. We all need it from time to time. But I took it, the, the Lord has blessed, and the Lord is blessing us as a congregation. And we need to come to that understanding as we unite and work together. We are adopted into the family of God as God's sons. Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. God's going to work these next few weeks out any way he wants. He's going to work them out the way he's got it planned. He's got more to answer to than a few of us prideful Americans. He's got people in foreign countries. He's got angels at the throne begging him for the world to come to an end. He's got people in other places that are begging him for everything to change. He's going to do what's best, and we have to accept his, his, his preeminence in this. And he will have his preeminence in it regardless of whether we accept it or not. But if we want his grace, we're going to have to exercise faith in his word and his, and his ability to work within us. Okay, the second thing, that was number two. We are adopted into the family of God as God's sons. Adoption is a permanent, and I was dealing with predestination, but adopting, adoption is a permanent, permanent process and it's the only permanent court action that takes place today. Even the death sentence isn't permanent anymore. Marriage used to be. I had a judge explain this to me as we adopted our first child that's going to get out of prison here in about eight, eight months, hopefully. Pray for that. Uh, I, I got to hesitate. He's doing good. And I want to thank you for your prayers thus far. But when he sat on the judge's lap, and my wife and I were as proud as we could be in a good sense of pride, that, we were, that God bestowed his life upon us and had the responsibility of raising him upon us, the judge said, there's nothing else more permanent than adoption. Each one of you who have accepted Christ as your personal Savior are adopted into his family and are part of his family on God's behalf. Can't undo. There's a reason. I explained that to somebody else this week on the very porch of this church, that once you're born again, you can't be unborn. You can die, but you have eternal life regardless of whether you're saved or whether you're 
accepted Christ as your personal Savior. You will spend it. Your spiritual life will last for eternity in either heaven or hell, whether you've accepted Christ and what he did for you, what he planned out for you before the world was even formed. Five times in Scripture, it says, before the foundations of the world, this is what takes place. This would take place. And in fact, the predestination is all part of what we're worried about taking place in the next week. God's got it all worked out. He wrote the book. He gave us a privilege yet to look in it. We need to be responsible and not ignorant of that privilege and to exercise faith and see what he has for us in his word. We have an incorruptible inheritance as we're talking about in adoption. So we're on the third point. And where's the time at? Did I throw that clock out? There it is. It's 11.44. We got 15 minutes. You think I'll get through 57 more? No. <laughs> we have an incorruptible inheritance. We'll go on these three. We can draw from this three more points. We have an incorruptible inheritance as we've accepted and been adopted in as children of Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 1.5. We have an incorruptible inheritance according to 1 Peter 1.3-4. Blessed be the God of our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible. Nobody can take that away. Our, uh, our son, our adopted son, and for that matter, even anybody, anybody who raises teenagers knows what, how they tend to want to corrupt their inheritance. We read the story of uh, the fellow who sat and waited for his son that squandered the family wealth that he inherited. But we need not go that far. Our son, who's in prison, denied his inheritance. Oh, I'm not, I'm not just physically your spawn child. And now he calls me father, and I'm proud of it. He calls me father, and I'm proud of it. Are you denying Christ as your father? We do when we sin. We do when we carry on in a sinful way. I have an incorruptible inheritance, 1 Peter 1, 3, 4. Inheritance is an estate derived from an ancestor to an heir or by succession in the course of law. Biblical law says you have inherited heaven if you're a child of the king. Another thing, we have an undefiled inheritance, 1 Peter 3, through four, blessed be the God, our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, mercy is getting what you don't deserve, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, that means it doesn't die, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, undefiled, not polluted, not reduced, in the effectiveness or in its effectiveness or destroyed you're on your way to heaven you know we talk about building us a mansion and i've even said jokes about what god's prepared for me in heaven the pup tent versus a castle you know our inheritance isn't going to be affected by that all of us when we get there we say we'd like i'd like to sweep the streets in heaven you know 
But in reality, we're all going to be treated equal there. Every sin, we're all sinners. There's none righteous, no, not one. And Jesus Christ is going to snap up from that throne at the right hand of the Heavenly Father, and he's going to say, I died for him, and he accepted me as his personal Savior. Now, each each sin he's ever committed or she's ever committed is covered. I don't care if it was Hitler himself or Mussolini or any of the other wicked men of the Bible, wicked men even in the Bible, if they've accepted Christ as their personal Savior, they're just as saved as you are if you've accepted Christ. And that inheritance will not be affected by a here on earth. You might regret it. That's why tears will be wiped away in heaven because you've abused God's grace. You will limit what you have in heaven. God won't. It's all there, and it's incorruptible, and it's an inheritance, and it's ear. Reversible. We have an irreversible inheritance. Same thing in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Blessed be the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. See, the devil's out to corrupt our inheritance. The devil's out. Satan's out to diminish our inheritance. And he's also out to remove our inheritance. Let me put before you, once you're a child, and we've established that you've been adopted, you can't get unadopted. It's a trick of the devil to think you've lost your salvation. I talked to an individual about that this week already. Thought he lost his salvation. I have a dear friend down in the States that is under the impression he's lost his salvation. He's an ex-Marine, by the way. (laughs) And he's a good man of God. He's weak, but he's a good man of God. Tries his best. And I see him sell himself short in God's relationship with him because he thinks he's lost something that he can't lose. Instead of taking joy and the grace and the faith and develop his faith, he's stifled because of the devil's ability to stop him and corrupt what he has for what God has for him in heaven. He's going to knock open the pearly gates and find out he's not going to get chased out. He's going to find out that God the Father is going to stand before him in judgment and Jesus Christ is going to be at his right hand and the Holy Spirit's going to be there and seal him and present him and Jesus Christ is going to be pleading on his behalf. And he's going to walk right through those gates and sit down and be totally discouraged at what he let the devil rob him, the joys that the devil robbed him from while he was on this earth. And Lucifer's going to be over there snickering and laughing. Because his idea is to destroy anything good. He's out to destroy each one of us, for he's a raging lion seeking who he may devour. Where do you stand in regards to that with your relationship with God? Are you running from a lion? Are you getting robbed of your joy? I don't care if the China comes in and starts blowing up the parking lot out here. I'm going to look up to heaven with tears in my eyes, and I'm looking forward to getting out of here. 
Now, maybe he'll have me live through it and we'll see something worse. But at least he gave me a reason to get through it. We need to focus on God. We need to focus on the things of God. We need to be found doing what he wants us to do. Sunday school, they talked about, you know, listening to God and be obedient to him and serving him to the best of your ability. That's what I'm going to do. I'm clear today. I've told you what God put on my heart today. We'll look at some more points a little later. But God loves each one of us. He's going to do what's best for us. My son, when he was at his worst, my, the one I spoke of already earlier, I actually worked with the detectives to help save him his life because of the crowd he was with. He was destined to die. Instead, he had to trade that for about 20 years in prison. But he's, he'll tell you himself he's a better man for it. And I don't care if God's got 20 years in prison lined up for me down the road here. I know I've done what he wants me to do, and I'll have a better life for it. I've seen men that have been sent to prison, and they, I, I've talked to men, looked them in the face, and they've sung the song. We're going to sing it in a few minutes. Let's all stand. 